Well, this is our final week looking at Gideon at that part of the book of Judges. And we always remember as we look at each of these people, each of these judges who was raised up by the Lord, that this is just one part of a much bigger and greater story. And it is a story of the, the people's failure, the people in question being God's own people, Israel. And it is part of a great story of God's faithfulness. And He is always, always faithful to His people. And we have been thinking over the past month about Gideon. Let's very quickly recap on Gideon tonight to refresh all of our memories, maybe also for the benefit of some who haven't been here over the past couple of weeks. Gideon is regarded as being one of the great heroes of the Bible. He is very often in Sunday school lessons and in junior church and in places like that presented as being a great hero. But the reality is that there is not actually a lot about Gideon that could be described as heroic. The, the better words to describe Gideon with would be words like fearful, weak, indecisive, clueless. And we can understand why he feels that way and why he acts that way because along with the rest of God's people, Gideon is living through the most difficult of times. And therefore, Gideon is one of the ultimate biblical examples of God's strength at work in our weakness. And that's why Gideon has been so incredibly good for us to think about, because in our lives, in the life of this church, we feel weak. And we need to be reminded of that great biblical truth that God's grace is sufficient. That's His promise his grace is sufficient, and His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And as we think about Gideon tonight, the background is found right the way back in chapter 6. I would encourage you to look at some of these verses in your own Bible. And if we go right back to Judges 6 and verse 1, that sets the scene for this story that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And the clear thing to see there is that this is the Lord's doing. So that when the Israelites then cry out to the Lord for help, he chooses someone to lead them in battle against the Midianites. And that person is Gideon. And remember back in chapter 6 when we, we first encounter Gideon, when the Lord appeared to him as the angel visited Gideon. The introduction from the Lord was, O mighty man of valor. That's what he calls Gideon. And it seems like an incredible title because the reality is that Gideon is weak and he's fearful that when we first encounter him in this book, back in chapter 6, verse 11, we're told that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. In other words, he was doing an outside job indoors. Why was he doing that? Why doing this really strange thing? Because he was hiding himself and his crops away from the very people that God was going to command him to go and fight against the Midianites. And so the key 
to this courage is the Lord's presence. That is the, the promise that the Lord gives through His angel. Back in chapter 6, verse 12, the promise is, Gideon, the Lord is with you. So, this is a story of weakness. Individually, Gideon's weakness and then the weakness of all of God's people of Israel at this time. And last week, as we thought about that, when we read together and looked at chapter 7, we encountered in that chapter of Judges the right kind of weakness. We could describe it as a necessary weakness that compels us to completely rely on the Lord. And then we will know that any success is because of His blessing. And we thought about that amazing way in chapter 7 that the Lord brings about such weakness so that Israelite faced the might of the Midianite army and other hostile neighbors. And just the very description there in chapter 7 verse 12 gives us a sense of the scale of their enemy. And you might expect, therefore, the Lord to raise up other soldiers to send in reinforcements, but instead, in this chapter, we discover that the Lord is whittling down His own army, the army of Israel, first of all from 32,000 to 10,000, and eventually it's an army that ends up with only 300 fighting men. And the Lord tells us why that happens back in verse 2 of chapter 7. He says to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength saved her. So, that's the reason why the army is reduced so much. This is amazing. Here we see God in His grace saving His people from themselves. He knows what they are like. He knows that when they get big ideas about themselves, then they're in danger of turning away from Him. And let's face it tonight, we are exactly the same. And so, at times in our lives, God humbles us. God brings weakness into our life so that we will know true blessing through being brought closer to Him. And the other thing that we considered last week in chapter 7 is that Gideon was weak, yes, but he was not useless. So that he gave under God's guidance this strong and determined leadership. He rallied, rallied the troops in verse 15, then he led by example in, first, in verse 17. He says, follow my lead. So that tonight we need to understand the nature of the weakness that the Bible is talking about when it tells us that God's strength is made. So, tonight we're going to take a brief look at chapter 8, because sadly, Gideon's story ends with the wrong kind of weakness. And this time it is not a necessary weakness. We could describe this as a detrimental weakness. It's a weakness that God's people brought upon themselves. And in the first part of chapter 8, it is a weakness that comes about because of the divisions 
among God's people. So that in this story of Gideon serving the Lord in these chapters, not only does he have to fight the worshipers of Baal and then the Midianites, he ends up having to fight his own people, God's people, his fellow Israelites. And here in the first part of chapter 8, Israel, God's people, divides into factions and they get into disarray. And you know how this starts? We know how this starts in our lives and our churches as well. It begins with criticism. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. We're told that the Ephraimites came to Gideon and they asked, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they criticized him sharply. And this relates back to the events that we were reading about last week in chapter 7. It relates specifically to something we read towards the end of that chapter and the role that Gideon gave to the tribe of Ephraim. They were not part of the main attacking force that went into the Midianite camp. Instead, Gideon instructed the Ephraimites to go to the River Jordan and wait there and then mop up when the, the Midianite troops would try and escape across the Jordan, that they would capture and kill the escaping troops. And actually, it's hard to understand what their problem is because the mission that they were given was both important and successful in that we're told that they caught two of the main Midianite leaders, men called Oreb and Zeb. And yet here at the start of chapter 8, the Ephraimites are far from happy. And I wonder, can you notice where and when this happens? That this happens as Gideon and his men return exhausted from battle, just after God has given them a great victory. And that's significant, because it's amazing how people can criticize minor things when God has just moved in a major way. That happens in the church of Jesus Christ as well. In our context, it would be like someone giving off about the kind of seat that they were sitting on at a mission where many, many people were saved. And I've got to say tonight, honestly, that as I read about this moment in Gideon's life and his service to the Lord, I, I really identify with this after 25 years of ministry, that when you've known God's help in preaching and when you've preached your heart out or your guts out, whatever way you want to describe it, and then someone comes up and says, why haven't you done that? Or why didn't you see that person? But what was the Ephraimites' problem? Well, their problem was that they always wanted to be at the center of the action. And so they were unable to rejoice in the great victory that God had given to His people because they couldn't see past the offense that had been caused to them. And I wonder tonight, honestly, do I have to apply this here in our service and in our church tonight? Sometimes this congregation like every congregation that I've been involved in can be held back 
by the wrong kind of weakness, by divisions that start over stupid things, by petty jealousies, by offense being taken far, far too easily. And tonight, if you think that I'm having a dig at you, don't think that. I'm having a dig at you and me. I'm very much including myself in this rebuke. At times, we fail to see what God is doing because we get so caught up in things of minor importance. And as we look at this chapter here, at a time when there should have been celebration, at a time when there should have been recognition of a great victory, there was infighting and jealousy and criticism. And the same can happen in the church of Jesus Christ. People just watch the news over this weekend. Like, honestly, we have enough battles to fight as a church. I sometimes think we have no idea what lies around the corner, what our society is becoming like, and what it's going to be like for gospel people in the coming years. We have big battles ahead of us, honestly. So let's not turn on each other because this is not necessary weakness. It's detrimental, damaging weakness. It has nothing to do with the, the kind of weakness that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And sadly, chapter 8 is full of the wrong kind of weakness. And this story and Gideon's life ends in such a tragic way. Because first of all, at the end of this chapter, the people display the wrong kind of weakness. Look at the request that they bring to Gideon in verse 22. They say to him, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. And maybe you hear that request and you think, well, What's the problem with that? It seems like a pretty reasonable thing to ask. After all, Midian has just delivered them this amazing victory. But when you start to dig into it a bit more, when you understand what God had commanded His people, the will that God had, the purpose that God had for His people, and how they would be governed, now they're coming and they're saying, we want not only this man to reign over us, then we want his son and his grandson. What is that? Well, to give it its technical phrase, that is a hereditary monarchy, each generation receiving the crown. And it goes completely against God's will for His nation and how it should be ruled. When you think about it, it showed a lack of trust in the Lord. We don't think that God can look after us. We want you as our king. And it showed a desire to be just like their neighbors when in actual fact, they as God's people had, call, had been called to be holy, be set apart, 
God said, be different from your neighbors. But they're looking at their neighbors and their kings with all of their wives and concubines and all of the trappings, and they think, we want that for us as well. So, I wonder tonight, who or what are you putting your trust in other than the Lord? Or are you still trusting in yourself and trying to do it yourself when it comes to God and you? But the the really sad thing is that not only do the people display this wrong kind of weakness, Gideon displays the wrong kind of weakness at the end of this story and right at the end of his life. He does not finish well. And yes, he says the right thing in response to the people's request. Look at verse 23. He says to them so clearly, no, no, hang on, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. To which we would say, amen, well done, Gideon, and give him a round of of applause. That sounds so admirable. He's giving the theologically correct answer. He wants the people to put their focus on the Lord, not him. He wants the people to trust the Lord, not place their trust in him. But then his actions don't match his words. Look what happens. He may not want to be their king, but he certainly wants the perks of being a king. He follows that up in verse 24. Oh, by the way, yes, there is one thing. I do have one request. And that is that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. Bring it on. Gideon, the man who says that he doesn't want to be king, but he's acting like one. And what he does with these gifts is absolutely catastrophic. It is disastrous. Verse 27, Gideon made the gold into an ephod which he placed in Ophrah, his town. And an ephod was a a special garment that was worn by the priests when they were offering sacrifices to the Lord. We're not at all sure why Gideon made an ephod out of gold, what his motives were, but the results were terrible. That Gideon leads the people. Remember, they are God's people. That Gideon leads God's people into idolatry, the worst possible offense against the Lord. There is nothing that offends the Lord more. So that it goes on in verse 27, all Israel, the whole heap, all of God's people, all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Well, what a tragic end to the story of Gideon's life. A man who said the right thing. No, 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 don't look to me, look to the Lord. But he did the wrong thing. And it resulted in further sinful rebellion by the people. And here is the the, the irony and the terrible tragedy. The people who in their weakness had been delivered by the Lord now give their affection and their worship to an idol, to a false god. How mixed up and crazy is that? 
I wonder tonight, as you talk with other people here at church, maybe as you talk with your family, are you saying all of the right things? Are you saying the right kinds of things? But your life actually tells a completely different story. We do tend to present Gideon as a great Bible hero. Oh, Gideon, the one who took the small group of men and he beat the tribe out of the Midianites. What a hero. And he did lead the people to a great victory over Midian, no doubt about it. But when you think about it, his story begins with a lack of trust in the Lord. He puts the Lord to the test and it ends with him leading the people, God's people, into idolatry and terrible sin against the Lord. And it's such a great reminder of what someone once said, that there is only one hero in this story. There's only one hero in this book. And it ain't Gideon. It's the Lord. And it's such a reminder to us as people within the church of Jesus Christ, that as we leaf our way through the Bible, there is only one person we will find perfection in. And so only one person who we can and should completely trust, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody else. So how we need His righteousness, how we need his rescue, because Gideon's story in so many ways is your story and my story. So that this is a story and this is a sermon that has to end with grace. It's a reminder of how we get it wrong. It's a reminder of our sinful pride that can only be dealt with at the cross where Jesus died. And when we trust in Him, and when we talk about God's strength being displayed in our weakness, be sure of what that weakness is and what that weakness is not. That if we turn to the Lord with real repentance and in true faith, He says to us tonight, He says to you, my grace is sufficient for you. As you deal with stuff in your job that is frying your head, as you seek to love people in your family or in your circle who are difficult to love, as you seek to care for a loved one and it's breaking your heart, as you seek to serve the Lord but you feel so inadequate to do that, you just don't feel that you're up to the task. Who am I to come into this church and do anything for the Lord at all? He tells you, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We're going to sing together, Oh, how good it is as we think about the unity that we should strive for and the unity that we can find as God works in our weakness and His strength is made perfect in it.